what's up Geekscapists? Welcome to a brand new Geekscape episode. This one's also coming to you from New York City. Uh, I'm sitting down with, and I'm, I might butcher this, John. It's okay. Because it's either a few or a foo, but it's, it's Fugelstein. It's a few. It's a few. Mm. <laughs> I'm sitting down with John Fugelstein. And did I butcher that one? Fugelstein, that's it. It's and, uh, very common if you're in a Copenhagen brothel. And sometimes you like switch. I, I used to say Fugelstein. Yeah, that's but, my cousin in Taiwan. I got a lot of that. <laughs> Sang mm. from the Sang family. Marie uh, Osmond introduced me as Fugu Song once on really? TV. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, this is Geekscape. If this is your first Geekscape, we talk about storytelling. Sometimes it's very genre heavy. It's movies, video games, comics. You guys just got an episode where we talked all about Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom, and I hope you enjoy that. Um, before that, we had uh, the director of Wolf Cop 2, and then we talked about <laughs> E3. There's always something coming down the pipe uh, here at Geekscape, and we've got Comic-Con coming up. So if you guys are making it down to San Diego for the big nerd spring break, the big event, our Super Bowl, uh, we're at booth 3919. So come on by, say hi. Uh, give Matt Kelly a hug. I think the boy needs it. And get one of the brand new t-shirts that we're going to have uh, premiering there. And we have a lot of stuff going on. So the road to Comic-Con is real. We're in the thick of it. And um, there, again, there's always something coming down the pipe here uh, in the geek medium. But John, who I'm talking to now, I'm sitting here in your living room, uh, you don't have a TV. I do. You do, but you don't have one in the living room. That's correct. And that's like cool to me. Thank you. What's the story? And, and we'll get, we're going to get into your acting, your hosting, uh, your Sirius XM show. We're going to get into all that. But let, let's talk about just to give us a sense of who you are, value systems, etc., there's no TV in the living room, mm. which is a rarity today. Yeah, um, there's a TV in the guest room, yeah, they, and that's like the TV, TV room, yeah. um, but I didn't want a TV in the living room. I, I learned living in LA, I didn't like having a big black monolith dominate a room unless I'm Care to Lee, <laughs> dying in a right. space zoo. Uh, and, I'm, and then I never had a TV in my bedroom, my whole life and then finally last year uh, my wife broke down and just stuck a monitor in and got the cable rigged up so finally uh, having a kid made me break down and, and put a put a monitor in the bedroom and so what, what are some of the things because I was talking to somebody yesterday about like the distraction algorithm that we're stuck in right between the Twitter the Facebook the Instagram and you know you ever done like that cycle where you're like I'll check the Facebook nothing on Facebook I'll check the Instagram there's nothing on Instagram I'll check the Twitter I'll, and then it's like then you're done with that one and you're like oh now I'm going to check the Facebook again and you realize that you're stuck in this distraction loop of a barrage of noise and messages that are just slamming you and it's hard to unplug sometimes and I think that making the physical move of not putting the TV in a living room <laughs> says a lot about being vigilant against that kind of barrage or yes i mean what, what's the story you that's the story LA, yeah like, like what was happening in la that you were like no 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 this isn't good well first off let me say how nice it is to be on your podcast because <laughs> i i am a fan and i wish that this podcast had been around when i was a young person because it would have made my time on long island feel a lot less lonely um <laughs> well, we'll, we'll get into your x-men comic collection <laughs> You're right. You're right, though. I, for me, though, it's it's there's an added challenge when you're a, a comedian or a, a performer or you just have your own business and you have to use social media because I have to post. I have to go on several mm -hmm. times a day. I've got to post jokes. Yeah, I've got to post. You know, promote gigs. I've got to. Uh, uh, people make these little nice little photo memes of my of my political jokes and I got to put those up. Political jokes are awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I, so I have to be like 
checking in all the time, but it's usually in the context of, uh, of just posting stuff, you know, and not really, I try not to, to, to get too lost in it. I know what you mean by distraction loop, but at the same time, I feel a responsibility to be a distraction mm -hmm. in the loop. Um, you know, that's the name of this game. Promote, dig me, sell, sell. It's I, the name of the game. And one thing, uh, and Facebook got me really down. Uh, and the geeks gave us know that I was divorced two years ago. And I think in, in, in the responsibility, a lot of the responsibility I take on in that divorce was um, being having a, like a major level of social media addiction and realizing that this is not good. And now, especially in the political climate that we're in, so much of it is this negative echo chamber, yeah. right? You've got an echo chamber on the left. You've got an echo chamber on the right. And it's just uh, hyping. It's like a hype machine. Everything's being hyped up. And, yeah. and, and, and how do you fight serves. against it? Well, I mean, it, ser it serves those in control, don't you think? Well, it absolutely serves in keeping us divided and keeping us conquerable. But what I've started to do on Facebook is just post positivity. <laughs> like a little videos of me being like, hey, meditate. <laughs> this is what I found valuable in my day. Uh, your thoughts aren't reality yeah. is something that I say a lot, especially when you're thinking about your own self-image or, you know, there's people out there who think I'm ugly or I'm dumb or I'm all these things that, uh, that you, you, when you're divided like that, you can feel alone in thinking that way. And so knowing that they just want us to buy their products and they just want us to vote their way and, and, and jump when they say jump. The effect, too, is that we end up feeling isolated. And Geekscape can't have that. We can, mm -hmm. <laughs> I can't build a community podcast and I, have that kind of thing going. So I think we've got to fight against it. Well, we're the first generation to have to navigate these waters and have to figure out how to do self-care right. in the midst of it. Um, our grandkids and great-grandkids will hopefully have found the balance because there'll be a formula for it. We're figuring it out one by one. Yeah. I mean, it's really a very individual revolution of the mind, revolution of the heart, revolution of awareness. And self-care is important, but do keep in mind that I think the positives far outweigh the negatives. Okay. And I took a quiz, I took a couple of quizzes. Are you addicted to social media? And <laughs> wait, where are these quizzes from? <laughs> the internet. I know, but if you're trapped, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's like, it's like seeing... If, you, if all you see are the shadows in the cave, you think that's the reality because you're in yeah, the cave. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's the best thing my first therapist ever taught me was perception is not reality. <laughs> you're, in the, you're in the matrix, yeah. taking the matrix's quiz. I know. <laughs> and I'm mindful of that, which is why when it came back and said, no, I was actually using social media very effectively and well, yes. uh, I felt a bit better about it. I don't do apps. I don't do, you know, these folks who, get, who go to Facebook and download these the games. Farms and don't mafia do the game. families. You can't do the games. You do the games, your name ends up on a Russian mailing list. We know this for a fact. And I think that those people as well, what the hell do you got going on in your life that you're making a farm on Facebook? <laughs> like, hey, I just built a fence. It's a level of free time I aspire to. <laughs> so you, so talk to me about uh, putting it together because you do feel this sense of responsibility of even though you're in the river, not polluting the river. Mm -hmm. Does that make, is that an apt metaphor? Yeah, I mean, we all have this mentality now of I just want to sit at home alone with my Facebook and my Twitter and my Instagram all by myself so I can socialize. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's great that I know the names of all my cousin's kids. Sure. 
and it's great that uh, I can stay up till four in the morning, not sleeping, arguing with somebody I'll never meet who has 27 followers because they're wrong about something. <laughs> do you get caught in those? No, I don't. You can't I, do that. Well, yeah. I can't do that, but I've, I see a lot of people I admire with much bigger followings than me who do get caught. Totally. In and you're like, why are you wasting you your time? You can't tweet when with... you're angry. You can't, you can't post when you're angry. Right. You can't do it because hate makes you stupid, anger makes you stupid. And I'll see journalists and comedians I really admire getting in these like epic flame wars with some troll with 27 followers out of nowhere. And I always want to be like, girls are watching. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's girls here. What are you doing? Um, <laughs> you know, and, and it's, it is interesting. It's a lot of it's a lot of trial by fire. It's a lot of making mistakes as you go along and screwing up in public. Um, but I feel that I've I I know that um, for me, I've reached a point, and I'm not all the way there yet, where the positives professionally, personally, do outweigh the negatives. And I do think that a lot of people are actually, ironically enough, learning about unplugging and self care from the very social media sites themselves. I do think that this is going to be a big movement and I reject the all or nothing mentality. Mm -hmm. um, I'm actually writing a screenplay about the first guy in history to quit Facebook without writing an elaborate Facebook post about why he's quitting Facebook. Right, right. It was like that Onion video that they made about running a marathon and she didn't tell anybody that she ran a marathon. <laughs> <laughs> she just ran it. Um, yeah, so you're telling me that when I put those implants in, I should put some sort of moderation on it, but the implants aren't inherently a bad thing. Well, uh, first off, it's different for everybody, right? I mean, like, <laughs> right. I, have a, I have a private Facebook profile that I use just to post baby pictures. Right. I mean, my, my he's in kindergarten now. He's not a baby anymore. But, like, I started a, a, a very personal one just for family and friends that's really for someday when I'm gone, my son can look back on this profile and see how loved he was and see that I posted a photo of him and a bit about myself every day of his life. It's like a Michael Keaton Facebook post. Remember Michael Keaton did that movie where he did a recording? Nicole Kidman was in it. I think Frank Oz directed it. Oh, and Hang S. Noor was in it, right? I believe so. And Hang S. Noor from The Killing Fields played the doctor. He had cancer. Yeah, and, yeah. He, and he was making a video for his kid. That is your Michael Keaton Facebook profile. I don't want you to start thinking about it as your Michael Keaton Facebook profile. No, You're still no, with I'm us. Just thinking about Hang S. Noor from The Killing Fields. Um, <laughs> I know, but I, I forget the name of the movie you mean, but yeah. Yeah, that was, you know, that was something that I did that wasn't political, that wasn't comedic, that wasn't uh, in any way promoting what I do. I tried to use Facebook for a little tiny profile uh, as a normal person to right. see what that was like. And um, of all the social media sites I have, that's my favorite. That's uh -huh. the one that nourishes me. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that one. It feels the most personal, and you have to stay cognizant of that trapping, but it feels sure, the most because... Yeah. But it's a project. Uh, yeah. It's an art project. When I first got Facebook, my goal was to do uh, one joke, um, one photograph I had taken, and one funny or inspire and one inspiring thing a day. Uh -huh. Like a joke I'd written, a photo I'd taken, and something, a video or a quote or a photo, an image, something that that gave me sustenance emotionally and, and spiritually. And uh, and that was a really good way to ease into it. Um, but I, because I have friends, and you have friends, who are really brilliant people, and I know I have famous friends, and I go on Facebook, and I see I have 75 notifications, and 65 are from this one guy who's living on it. And very often... You know, it is artists, it is performers, it is guys who get off stage and they go back to the hotel room, and maybe they're older, they're not partying, or they're sober, not yeah. partying, and they post all night. 
Uh, and, oh no. You know, but it's like, if it works for them, I don't get to judge it. Right, right, that's the other thing is, um, that mute button that is so awesome. The mute button on <laughs> Twitter has saved my life. The mute button is amazing. I won't block anybody, but uh, the mute button is a wonderful innovation. Right. You, you know, and, and even with Twitter, and I, I get hate from these trolls that you would not believe. Um, I mean, like, you name it. Death well, you skewer pretty well on the left. You know what I mean? Like, you skewer the, you skewer the current administration really well. Thank you. And but I, I can well, see how, you, how I get around it. makes you a lightning rod for these... Sure, Yoke because well, also because I talk about Christianity, I go deep on the right. Bible, and that and you know that pisses people. Off. What, oh, what yeah. do you not talk about? You don't talk about politics. You don't talk about religion. Like, why? I mean, okay, why not? Nobody hates like a Christian who's just been told their hate isn't Christian. Believe me, <laughs> right? And I know the Bible pretty well, so I, 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 I part of it's for a, a good practice for me. But I have like one or two core rules for Twitter. Um, and I, I don't like this whole Twitter's a cesspool movement because I don't want to cede Twitter to the cretins, just like right. I don't want to leave America because a crypto-fascist no, beats we, up on marginalized people We need power. you to hear in the belly of the beast, yeah. Um, I, I don't post when I'm angry. I try not to. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I'll go back and delete it later. <laughs> and um, I try to make sure that anything I post has value to someone who's never going to meet me if they read it, that it's either entertaining, funny, informative, or inspiring, or hopeful. That's my that's my guideline. I, I don't just I don't just do something to fight. I won't fight somebody, but I, unless I can have a response that is funny, right, will give hope or give inspiration hope. to someone, yeah. or you know, uh, to disseminate a good talking point mm-hmm. against some kind of. Uh, bigoted argument against marginalized people yeah and, 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 and I don't like bullies I spent my entire childhood I don't like I don't even yeah. like the word bully you right. know like I hate the word bully bully to me is an archaic Archie Comics term I hear bully and I think of, of Butch and Woim yeah. you know from Little Rascals like like uh, yo wasn't it horrible when Robert De Niro bullied Nick Nolte's family and Kate Fear like I, don't, I, I think the word bullying is an insult to what young people have to endure in terms of peer abuse, I think peer abuse is a better term, right. or, um, or or you know targeted harassment, whatever you want to call it. But I I can't stand it, and I don't like people who who punch down as a as a person, as a spiritual being, as a comedian, especially as a political comedian. I despise people who want to pick on the marginalized. Um, it's rule number one in good comedy. That's why there are not a lot of great. There's not a lot of great right wing comedy, because. If you're not, if, if you're punching down, maybe it'll be funny for a few seconds. It's right. like if you go to a comedy club and there's a guy on stage doing lowbrow shit about homeless people or making fun of developmentally disabled people, doing retard material. Well, I don't have to go to a comedy club for that. I can just watch the news. <laughs> like, like a president's doing that. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> that, it's like that bit. But if you're in a club and someone's doing that, and you'll you, maybe yeah. you'll laugh if you're drunk enough for five seconds. No, and, you know, no, then mean, mean jokes should be funny for a second. And then you feel like you have to get a shower. Yeah. And I don't like it uh, in social media. I don't like it in government. I don't like it uh, in comedy. So for me, I have to be mindful that I don't become that, and that I don't become a hater. You know, don't be a monster to stop a monster. Right. So um, I'm still learning. And uh, I've, I've come a long way, but um, to me it's like I have anger and I want to get in fights, but I also know that I have nothing to gain from spreading more negativity in the world. It's yeah. not going to make me happier. What happens if you win that 
let's say there's a, a, a medal for that, or let's say there's a, you're right, I'm wrong at the end of it, and you've, for the most part, won that. Yeah, somebody very close Don't to me. To win, I, for I, what? I said to someone very close to me once, you know, like, I, I hate um, this, this competition with you. I don't want to compete with you. I love you. And this person said, it's always a competition. And I said, well, then I win when it's over. I win when the conflict is done. Just That's because what of that mindset. Like. Yeah. Um, one of the revelations I had in meditation is that you can't be creative while being competitive because you're checking someone else's homework while trying to create your own. And, and it's hard to, you can be inspired by others and you can try and keep, uh, you can, you, you know, you, you're always doing something in our, in, in the world that we live in of entertainment, you're always doing something that's in some sense influenced or derivative even of other people's things. But competition, I think, is like when your driving instructor tells you not to look at the sides of the road because you'll veer towards them instead of just looking ahead. And competition, I think, takes so, puts so much influence and energy into your own output it well, I, I, that it that it, it's almost negative let me ask would you agree that there's a healthy competition that can be good for creativity i'm thinking lennon mccartney uh, i mean they were so good for each other and then it got toxic and then by 71 george was the best <laughs> right of all three. right and i i came to your neighborhood when george died right over here uh at strawberry fields, strawberry fields. i came to say hi um, really, that's lovely i was in la when george died but i was uh i was at strawberry fields on the 10-year anniversary uh-huh. of john's death yeah. Um, now I take my kid there. They, well, they were also collaborators. They were. And so I think that um, if you have a healthy collaboration, if you have, well, that became not a healthy collaboration, but if you have a collaboration and you're trying to match each other back and forth, then, you know, you're pushing. Obviously, Scottie Pippen was a better player when, when Jordan left. <laughs> but that's you not know? creativity. Like, I mean, I, I, that's just going, I think... Well, I, I mean, think a lot of basketball is clear, too. I mean, sports is... Right, yeah, right. okay, right. But, yeah, but I, I'm thinking, like, you listen to the White Album, and that's, mm-hmm. you know, the first John solo record, the first George solo record, the first Paul solo record. Yeah. I mean, someone was just saying to me the other day, Rick Overton was saying that, like, Obla D is the first uh, Wing song. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, well, this, then Helter Skelter is, too, because Wings could rock like motherfuckers when they wanted to. Right. Uh, but, um, uh, yeah, I, I see where you're, where you're coming from. I just think there's, there's toxic competition and there is... Um, Healthy competition. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about getting bullied. Like when you grew up on Long Island, was that you were a geek? Would you consider yourself a, uh, having been a geek? Not that you're not a geek now. Um, Geek is a compliment. But, um, it's a compliment now. Yeah. It wasn't when I was a child. It absolutely was not. I was talking, somebody had a D&D shirt in, on uh, somewhere, uh, I think two days ago here in New York, and I said, get a great shirt. And he goes, everyone's playing it now. And I yeah. said, I know, but back then it was like a mark of honor. You could get the imprint of your locker on your face and you knew that you played D&D. Oh, and yeah. that's like, I can't like this band anymore. They're popular. No, it was great. He goes, everybody's playing it. And I think he liked it. I oh, think good. he liked that he can now play it with people. You know, I remember going to a, a summer theater program at Boston University when I was a teenager that I got into. And, uh, and like one of my first nights there, we're in a dorm and all these teenagers are sitting around bragging over who was the bigger nerd back in high school. And I was oh. like sitting in the corner thinking, if any of you guys were real nerds, you wouldn't be bragging about no. it. No, it was painful. It was painful. And there's a lot more community now. I think nerds, geeks, um, understand uh, and have a lot of empathy towards what gay kids went through. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing what it's like to be marginalized and to be able to pass some of the time. You know, it was the nice thing is that if you are a geek as a child, you 
likely will get bullied, but you also likely will find community and you'll find friends and you'll find sincerity with friends. You'll find young men and women your own age who, uh, who share your interests and who will let you be yourself. And I think being a geek is only a tragedy if you don't have community. Right. And that was before the internet. Yeah, now you can find that community. Yeah. Um, then you had to go to one of those hotspots. You had to go to the comic book store. Yeah. You had to go to the record store. You had to go. What was your community? Where did you find that oh, place? Theater. You I were mean, a theater, I mean, nerd. theater. By the time I was, <laughs> well, I mean, I was, I was, a, I'm a geek of many colors. Yeah. And you know, as a child, um, it's so funny having a six-year-old. It's amazing because now he's so into uh, Marvel and Star Wars and DC, um, and playing with my old toys and reading my old comics and books. Um, but but by age 11 or 12, I began hanging out at the theater with adults mm-hmm. all the time. I just kind of gave up on my age group. And when I was 12, I was in a regional theater production of Hamlet. And that was it for me. I was done with Atari games. Really? Um, yeah, after working on a production of Hamlet with a bunch of grown-ups for th- three months of my life and getting my first good review in the newspaper and learning what Shakespeare was about at age 12 was like my life going from black and white to color. Were you in a rush to grow up? Do you yeah, feel like? I finished high school when I was 16. And why, um, now why, do you, what drove you to like give up on your age group or your, you know, what would have been your peers and to aspire well, to do all this? Like what was going on in the world? I grew up in Long Island in yeah. the heart of the Buttafuoco Belt. Oh. And, um, oh, what is that, a book? That would make for a good hat on you. That was what my, was my childhood. So, wait, would your father say that? No, that's what other kids. Other said. kids no, would say, no. and, and I that's had, a book and make a good hat and then smack you on the head with your own book." That's a mild version of what I put up with. Yeah, <laughs> oh, um, that's messed up. Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't mean to laugh. No, no, I have very <laughs> personal reasons for thinking the term "bullying" is uh, is an insult to what kids really go through. How bad did it get? I don't want to cause you to start rocking back no, and forth. Rock back and forth. It was, it was, you know. Once certain kind of kids know that you're not going to fight back, they can take it all out on you and all the pain they bring from their childhood, they can put on you. And I had an abnormally Christian childhood. Mm -hmm. And when I say Christian, I don't mean what it's come to me now of meanness and screaming at women outside clinics. Yeah, I mean, those are the loud ones that you hear. Yeah, the fundamentalists. No, I, I, the mean people. Um... My mom had been a nun. My father had been a Franciscan brother. Uh-huh. My dad worshipped Martin Luther King and Gandhi and Malcolm X. My dad was very big on nonviolence and um, understanding and compassion. Bless those who curse you. It's a cool dad. Yeah. Yeah, I know that now. Yeah, but um, at the time, at you the felt time like it was very hard. You and felt like it was making you weak, or yeah. Yeah, and and also I, I um yeah it's a great dad <laughs> yeah oh, my, I mean, they were see, amazing you represent so many of those values now yeah and that's why now I but now I've learned to stand up for the little kid who gets bullied but I've also learned to have empathy for the bullies themselves right because something happened to them to make them mean right something happened to them to make them forfeit their own humanity and to feel like the dopamine release in the brain when you think you're winning. Right. That momentary burst of pleasure when you gang up with other people to pick on someone, that that feels like you have a team, like you're, you have community. And then the dopamine's gone and you need it again. You need that hit, yeah. Serotonin's happiness, dopamine's pleasure. And Americans have mistaken pleasure for happiness for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And it's why we have so many of these problems we have because 
we keep thinking happiness is the goal. And as Eleanor Roosevelt said, it's the byproduct. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I've come a long way, but it took a lot for me to be able to forgive the kids who used me for sport. And the stuff that I was a geek for, I mean, Star Wars saved my life. And right. Star Wars made me understand spirituality in a way that religion never did. Empire Strikes Back taught me more about real spirit. Empire Strikes Back and Hamlet taught me more about spirituality than than any church ever did. And then you're, I mean, if they do that, you're hooked. Yeah. The second they do that, they're hooked. And um, in witnessing it, you know, as a father now, those properties have all kind of matured, right? You've got the Star Wars movies and now you have them going back and telling stories amongst the Star Wars movies that you I grew know. up with. Uh, for half of, worse, half of the ten Star Wars films are prequels. And I looked up the other day, and I was talking about Solo, and I said, wait, wait a minute, like, Game of Thrones gets to surprise you every weekend, but this is a franchise that hasn't really done something new with a character revelation since I'm your father. And I'm like, wait, we haven't learned anything new about any of the major characters since that reveal in 1980. Ryan Johnson sure swung for the fences he on that went, issue. That's why I enjoyed it, because it was like, I don't care if Me it's too. weird. I don't care if some of it makes sense. Grow I don't up, care kids. if some of it needs to be retconned. Grow up, kids. But the dude took risks. Such risks. I was so glad that Luke threw that lightsaber over his shoulder. It was just so like, inspiring. forget this. It's like, this is not, he, this is not the story you want. Right. This is the story. And I think as years go by, the parallels between The Last Jedi and The Empire Strikes Back, both in storytelling and in the public reception, mm -hmm. are gonna be so apparent. Every time I've watched The Last Jedi, I cannot believe how it's a mirror image of The Empire Strikes Back. Right uh, down but not to- not narrative, I mean narrative. Oh, narrative-wise, yeah. Oh, okay. Right down to the, the public's disappointment with it. Yeah. I mean, it, so much of it mirrors Empire Strikes Back in creative, interesting ways. And um, I mean, I mean, and it's hard to think that people were that vehement, but I think after Last Jedi came out, someone was circulating fan reviews that had been published some, like in a star log or something, and they could have very easily have been for Last Jedi, but they were originally from for Empire. Yeah. And you'd have to blink to realize they weren't for the movie that had just oh, yeah. come out. I mean, I remember having fights with my friends who uh, refused to believe that Obi-Wan could have lied about Luke's father. Like, furious fights. <laughs> ben wouldn't lie. And it's like, but sometimes your gurus who have gone off to be hermits in the middle of nowhere disappoint you. Yeah. And you can't rely on your old heroes. You've got to become the hero yourself. I wish he had lied more. I wish he had just lied through the prequels. Too. I wish the prequels would have had some bend to his character. I really, know? I think that the, uh, the Clone Wars series really has has done a lot to redeem the prequels. Sure, sure. Um, particularly the, 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 the uh, Tartakovsky 2D originals, which yeah. are impossible to find. They're very hard to get a hold of. But the fans all agree with you that yeah. they, that is their prequels. Yeah, I, w I think you want prequels. You can, you can watch the Tartakovsky Clone Wars series and then episode three, mm -hmm. and you're fine. Yeah. You know, um, and someone's going someone's gonna to recut. <laughs> someone's going to recut Phantom Menace at some point. You want to hear something insane? These idiots trying to like raise oh, two hundred million oh, to like these, make their own Last Jedi. It's like what? The, and the Phantom Menace is sitting right there. Remake this that incel first. nation is insane. Um, the, the, I went to see Solo because that incel made that video about boycotting Solo. I was, yeah. I turned to Heidi, who you yeah. know, our friend, and I said, "I'll take two, please." Yeah. Like, 
Like, I'm, I'll buy, and I'll so buy much, another one for that I guy. I mean, the amount of racism as well. And, you know, it's like I appreciate that the incels had such love and such warmth from Star Wars, and they felt that Star Wars let them down, but it's such a petulant stereotype of the entitled American. And it's disempowering. Like, what is it's it totally about you that a movie had to play they, that role? They can't grow up, right? And here's my thing about incels. Involuntary celibates, okay. When you're going to sit in your parent, you're not going to go out and take a dance class or take an improv class right. or go out and like work on a skill and get awesome at something so a woman likes you. You're not going to develop a sense of humor like the rest of us had to do who weren't yeah. good at sports to make Jog around the block. Like you. Instead, you're going to sit in your parents' basement. You're going to be on the computer all the time. You're going to go find misogynists who feel like you. You're going to watch so much freaking porn. You have porn brain mm -hmm. and you resent the world for not living up to your porn-induced expectations, Right. You're going to uh, hate women for not thrusting themselves at your precious little cock whenever you walk into a room. You're going to stalk people, be rude, use misogynist language. At some point, w w where's the involuntary part? Right. You're signing up for a lifetime of five-fingered orgies starring you and you alone. You right. are signing up for loneliness. And this petulance of like, you know, Ryan Johnson didn't give me the pony I'm entitled to. <laughs> <laughs> or that hot girl in the bar didn't want to talk to me, so I get to go online and rail against uh, Kelly Marie Tran. It couldn't have been easier for you right now. I was at a barcade here in uh, Manhattan Saturday night with my friends. Beautiful women everywhere. And it had arcade games. What are you guys afraid of? They're building places for you to do this. They're lazy and so, they don't want to. And, by, and the, the, the Kelly Marie Tran thing, it's like... Horrifying. Horrifying. And, and I, I did a post that I got so much hate for because I was like, these people do not know what Star Wars is about. They don't know the first thing what Star Wars is about. And, and I got so much hate from people over it. And I'm like, no. What is the message? What is the simple message of the Star Wars? Yeah. Don't give in to hate. Yeah. What is the last thing Obi-Wan says before Luke leaves Dagobah? Don't give in to hate. And when you've given in to hating anyone, you've lost. Right. And I don't care if they deserve to be hated. You've lost. Hate makes you stupid. There's, um, I have, uh, um, the, the Jar Jar actor, he's, he's uh, been on our show um, why am I blinking? He's acting for me in Santa Project coming up, Ahmed Best. Yeah. So uh, the story Ahmed tells, and this is insane, is you know that there's, every time a, a Star Wars movie comes out, everybody makes a joke about Jar Jar being the last Sith or a Sith Lord and this and that. George shot that. And Ahmed tells you, George shot that scene for the third Star Wars movie where at the end of the movie... Vader's done no and all this stuff you see Palpatine walking into a transport with another shadowy figure another another person in it and it's revealed that it's Jar Jar and Ahmed's like we shot that and George thought that putting that in the movie would have retconned he would have people would have perceived cool. it as him trying to be cool yeah. or trying to be retcon, so he didn't put it in and I said, holy shit, that would have gone such a long way in making everything. If you go back and you watch, supposedly, I don't know if I, I could do this. But if you go, I would love to. There's a YouTube video I've been told that has like five minutes of cut downs of the moments from the, those three movies. In, of course, including his vote, where Jar Jar is in, either in the, he's in the background doing something weird. Or he's somewhere present where he, do, he didn't need to be in the scene, but he's there. Yeah. 
and he's doing all of this Sith stuff in the background. And when I heard that, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. And had it not been told by the actor who played Jar Jar, I would have, I would have just dismissed it as rumor. It would have been terrible because it would have seemed like he was trying way too hard at the end of it. You know, like the but Ahmed thing. was like, Ahmed was like, we shot that scene. I kind of wish the scene had been in there yeah. because it would have fucked your head up so badly. And we would have been like, whoa, 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 whoa. We would have been played longer than usual suspects. I mean, it would have been redundant, too, because Lucas nailed that beat. Or he did that beat. He didn't nail it. Right. I mean, the character of Jar Jar is justified and redeemed in episode two. When he is manipulated into starting the vote that makes Palpatine supreme chancellor. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jar Jar is the reason the Empire starts. Because Jar Jar is so childlike and stupid and gullible. Yeah. And I wish that Lucas would have just worked on that beat a bit more to say, yeah, you didn't like him, um, but he's a simpleton, and because of that, his innocence, uh, he's manipulated. And it would have made the character, I mean, the character's tragic, but it would have brought it more to the forefront of Lucas, I think it just made the storytelling a bit more involved about it. Because I think a lot of people... Just sort of miss that whole point. I, I mean, we could talk about the prequels all day, but it's a big point that we're kind of living in right now. Oh yeah, the manipulation of, and I don't yes, like point. calling them simpletons. I call Jar Jar a simpleton. Yeah, definitely, 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 definitely. You definitely called Jar Jar a simpleton, and he is. Without that scene that was shot and never put in, he's very much a simpleton. But um, I don't think you needed to see Anakin yeah. murdering Jar Jar in cold blood in an agonizing moment to like just make some of the bloodthirsty fans cheer. I think, uh, you know, the Emperor exploited a simpleton. Fascists and demagogues exploit the dark sides of good people. Mm-hmm. Um, they exploit the prejudices and fears and, uh, and cultural anxieties of good people. Um, you know, you can be dumb at anything. I mean, we're, we're, everyone's dumb on something, right? Like, we're all, we're all dumb in different ways. Sure. You know, I'm I'm the dumbest guy. I, I thought G Spot was a rapper. You know, like I don't know how I... <laughs> yesterday, I somebody was playing Lady Gaga, and I thought I was like, oh, Taylor Dane, mm-hmm. <laughs> which also aged me. Mm-hmm. I was with a group of women. We were doing a sports bra squad run to, to promote uh, uh, body image, and uh, yet, yeah, and it was also during Pride Geekscapist. But um, we went on a run. I wore a sports bra, and uh, we were playing. Uh, some lady music, pro lady music, and we were being loud and proud. It was pride too, so we were running all through, and um, yeah. So uh, I aged, and I, I tell people um, when I shoot, I said, if I'm the least talented, intelligent person on the set, I know we have a chance to make something good. Exactly right. <laughs> like we're we're all dumb in different ways. We're all ignorant in different ways. Yeah. Um, you know, women. I mean, uh, open-toed boots. What the hell? Why what would you hell? do that? Why would you? It's the mullet of ladies' foot. What are heels for? Well, that's a whole other thing. I don't like the statue thing. Like, what are what are heels for, John? I don't. They complain about them. Um, unless you're being chased by a T Rex, you can't run in them. <laughs> I know women who swear they can run in heels, and I know a few men who swear they run better in heels. Yeah, but yeah, I'm with you. I mean, it's it is for height, and it is for some for some people about a, a figure and about posture. When I was coming over here, I was over. Uh, but we don't think about it. We think, oh God, look at the Chinese binding women's feet to be smaller. What a, what, what a right. horrible way to, to what, what a bizarre way to distort your own body oh. to fit a, a transient idea of beauty. And now I've got to go to my boob job. It's so culturally arcane. Yeah. <laughs> I was standing uh, Muslim head scarves. What a cruel primitive superstition, <laughs> said the circumcised Western man. <laughs> I was uh, standing by Penn Station, and a guy rolled up, 
And I was just like, okay, where does the sweat end and the humidity begin? And a guy rolled up in a suit, and you see that all over Manhattan, guys in suits. And I was like, when is the suit going to go away? They're going to work in a suit. Never going to go away. When is that going to go, go away? Never going to go away. That's insane. No, it's not. The it's, dude's like in three <laughs> layers of stuff. The suit is the ultimate symbol of the male double standard. The it's, suit allows a man to be any kind of out of shape and hide it. That's the hoodie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the hoodie is the body armor of the doughy male. Yeah, <laughs> it's like I can be. I, I mean, basically, you're you're just dressing as grimace, so you can get away with whatever you look like underneath. Uh, a suit gives a suit is how a man uh, looks slimming. You know, it's it's right. It, it is function, and it's never going to go away. It's well it's, until we're all wearing robes. We're just feeding like, insecurity at this. Once point. we're you know beneath Not the planet of the apes, clothes. we're all wearing robes. And, yeah, we're Morlocks. Yeah, <laughs> we're the Morlocks with the time machine, just running around. Uh, looking for that one still human-looking female who happens to still be alive at that point. We're stealing. Who are the the Eloy? We're stealing yeah. people from the Eloy. Oh, you're much uh, hipper than me. I went for Beneath the Planet of the Apes. You're you going did. to H.G. Wells. Planet of the Apes is great. Um, I love to play Beneath the Planet of the Apes. I went yeah, H.G. Wells. One of my, my real geek treasures. You ever seen one of those? That's uh, it's a maquette from uh, Planet of the Apes. Let me it's think. the ultimate. It's the ultimate. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm running your microphone so you can grab this it. This is like this is really great on uh, on a podcast. They, no, you, I fine. know visual aids are great. This is You're something, something that down from a, the from studio a... gave me. Um, this was like the ultimate Planet of the Apes. Holy crap! Everything, including like the animated series from the 70s and 80s, and this the is his unthinkable Tim Burton remake, and the Planet of the Apes TV series in the 70s, and uh, all the original films. It's everything that they ever released up through the Tim Burton project. I mean, everything. These are all of the. So Fox gave this to you, and it's, and it's all in a giant Cornelius head, and it's. <laughs> It's all the DVDs of Planet of the Apes. And you're right. It's got the animated stuff in here. Yeah. And uh, the Mark Wahlberg Planet of the Apes, for which oh, yeah. Rick Baker should have won an Oscar because the makeup was yeah, phenomenal. And, and I would have uh, given Tim Roth an Oscar Tim Roth was phenomenal. Film, yeah. Tim Maybe Roth even Paul Giamatti, too. Paul Giamatti Tim Roth and Paul Giamatti were fantastic Tim Roth in this is movie. great in that film. The if film you, is worth seeing for if Tim If you Roth. haven't seen him as Caesar in that movie, I, just the physicality of having to put that role together is insane. But yeah, you have all the Planet of the Eight movies up until these new... I like the new ones. I do, too. I think they're great. Very much. They're, they're, they're superior in many ways. Yeah, they did a... I mean, you have the... You have and the they're whole, prequels. You have the advantage of hindsight being like, okay, well, let's smooth this stuff out. But in a way, they're retelling a lot of the better parts of the original films. Um, I had a buddy of mine. Yes, you want to protect that. <laughs> I just love that it comes in a giant... Protect it from the kindergarten. Uh, no, no, let's put, it, let's put it in Oh, there. thank you. I love that it's, uh, it comes in this Play With the Apes head. Yeah, you can take a picture of that if you want for the, the, the website. I'm going to yeah, put that up on the website. It's very cool. I'll take a picture of you holding it up because you're so proud of it. It's very proud. I'm deeply proud of it. I am. I've got, I've got a few. I've, I've got my little geek treasures. I had a period where I had to sell off a lot of stuff years ago. I think I'm getting close to that one. All the comic books, all the Star Wars toys. I had to sell off. How'd you go about it? everything? I, I, um, Craigslist and a garage sale. Yeah. I found one collector in, uh, in Burbank who just bought all the Star Wars stuff. In that Burbank. was before your move here. Yes. Um, I love that we've talked about so many things, and uh, and geeks gave us now we'll vet John. But the idea, but the thing is, you just grew up. You got into theater. You became a performer. Um, you did a one man show, but even before then, you started hosting. You were hosting on VH1. You, you've been hosting a lot and of doing TV hosting. comedy stuff. Yeah, you enjoy it, or is the acting? Because you've also acted a ton. Uh, you know, I knew at a young age I wanted to do 
a lot of different things. I, I knew that I was never going to be Daniel Day-Lewis or George Carlin, and I thought, well, I, I want to have as diverse a career as possible. Mm -hmm. So I've been really lucky. I've, I've done solo theater off-Broadway, and I've acted in films and on TV dramas and sitcoms, and I've, uh, I, I recently did an award-winning documentary for PBS on the American Dream that took a couple years out of my life. I hosted shows for SiriusXM. I hosted America's Funniest Home Videos. I was a VH1 VJ. I, uh, have, I, I've hosted um, political affairs shows like on, on current TV, and I was a regular on CNN, MSNBC. I've uh, performed for the troops overseas. I've done most of the major comedy festivals. Um, I love that you worked for Current, because when I first started Geekscape, I got a job at Current. I had a job there. I remember being on a phone call with Al Gore, mm -hmm. <laughs> and it was a big phone call. It was a, it was a conference room. But just being like, oh my God, the former vice president and, but for Florida would be president. Uh, but for whatever those machines did in Florida, and you guys, conspiracy theories aside, he should have really pushed on the Tennessee and the Arkansas thing and maybe gotten the, the vote. Yeah. But uh, it, yeah, I remember working for Current. Well, also, and you were, there was a couple of Supreme Court judges should have recused themselves because right. the other guy's dad had given them the job. <laughs> There's a lot of reasons <laughs> right. why that never should have happened, and there'd be 5,000 servicemen and women and a million Iraqis still alive Yeah, if that hadn't happened. Yeah, people can say Trump is as bad as possible. He hasn't killed as much as the other guy. This is my whole thing. I'm like, look, you know, he, he's not the worst president even of our lifetime. No. Not yet. Not I yet. I mean, he's got a ways to go. He's got a ways to go yeah you know housing crash and economy crash and uh and people say well he's the worst person ever elected president and i'm like uh andrew jackson is still up there you andrew know? jackson was yeah. sorry trail of tears a little worse than celebrity apprentice you know right uh, do we have a trail of tears forming in a situation like what we have in brownsville texas not not it's not, not genocidal even close. it's not, not even genocidal close. it's not but even close, it's like yeah. Holy shit! Did you think that you'd see this on American soil? Oh Again, yeah, yeah. I, 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 yeah. I mean, as of this taping, we are only, I believe, um, we are only twenty-four years away mm -hmm. from the magic year of twenty forty-two when Caucasians yeah. become a minority population, and the Caucasians are freaking out. Why is that? I was talking to uh, my like a cab driver, shuttle driver in L.A., and he's from Congo. And it, and I was talking about how like never underestimate the power of just racism, to or in fear to get people to do things that are against their best interests. And we're yes. talking about these minority populations, these immigrant populations, because statistically you have an immigrant population and nobody hires them, so they build their own businesses, and in doing so they boost the economy. Yeah, indeed, and they they, do. they they don't want to commit crimes because they don't want to go back to wherever they came from. Exactly, so it's a lower. So they have Le a lower crime rate. Legal and illegal immigrants commit crimes at a lower rate than natural-born citizens, but which is why we should consider deportation as a punishment. Absolutely. <laughs> That's a great one. <laughs> Absolutely. Forget um, the prison-industrial complex. Yeah. Get them out of here. Well, the, that's a whole other thing, the prison-industrial complex, because that we're becoming that sci-fi movie. Oh, I know. Where, like, Ray Liotta's on the island fighting his way out. No escape. Family. I can't believe like, you know that movie. That's awesome. Yeah, brother. We're doing that. I love that movie. <laughs> Welcome to Geekscape. Great deep picture, man. <laughs> With Ernie Hudson. Is Ernie Hudson in the movie? I think he is, I yeah. think he is. Like, like, like Lance Henderson's the bad guy. Well, he should be, right? Yeah, Lance Henderson should be the bad guy in a, in a a crap ton of things. Um, I recently asked if Lance Henderson would come on the show, Geekscapist. I hope it happens. Uh, his have you read his biography? I have not. Not Bad for a Human is the name of the biography. It's fantastic. And as somebody who's gone through all the different weaves that life will throw you in pursuit of acting, in pursuit of telling stories, that's a great autobiography. That I've, is lo I've, I've loved me. him since The Right Stuff. 
when he played Absolutely. Wally Sharon. That's up there with me with the one that um, uh, what was the great one that came out, um, Born Standing Up, that uh, that was put out a few years ago. It was a really great autobiography. Um, why am I blanking on one of the funniest men of all time? Uh, never a cast member uh, of SNL, but is always remembered with SNL. Um, Steve Martin. Oh yeah. Did you read Steve Martin's I did autobiography? Not, no, I didn't Those two autobiographies, Gates gave us, are great storytelling autobiographies. Like how to become a storyteller and just duck and weave with what life gives you, but not give up. Yeah. And it's a great uh, thing to, to. I think read today when everything is. We can go back to the beginning of our episode, John, where we're talking about this distraction algorithm that just keeps you alone and isolated and saying, oh, yeah, we're divided. Are we that divided? You know, more and more I almost think that racism is a word that may have outlived its purpose. Sure, like bullying. Yeah. Bigotry, we understand, but racism, you know, people don't understand. You can be racist and still like Steve Harvey. Right. Oh, yeah. You can be racist and still enjoy hanging out with black celebrities when you're president. <laughs> Somebody had a meme that uh, when, when LeBron beat Boston that was like people cheering for LeBron, you know, being on their team. Yeah, Boston fans when LeBron moves to town. <laughs> it, was a, it was a totally different reaction. I couldn't cheering believe when I saw Kevin racism. McHale at a Trump rally. Couldn't believe yeah, it. Yeah, Kevin McHale it. at the Trump rally. But I, I really, lately, I, I'm glad the word, the term white supremacy is becoming in vogue because I think it's more accurate. Sure. People who feel like if other minority groups get more, it means somehow I'm losing something. Right. And it, we're, we're tribal. I mean, it's, it's all tribalism. Everything we see here, you know, this, these, these demographical shifts. It's like I know so many Caucasians who've looked down on minorities so long, and now that they're on the verge of being a minority, they're terrified that they're going to be treated as badly as they've treated others. In, do you, do we all deserve to be rich? <laughs> it's like this whole idea that you're being sold a he's just like me image. Nothing like you. What do you, who, me, you like the this, president? This idea that you're being sold that you're being normal. You know, people talk about humanizing these you know individuals who I always thought came out of the elite. You know, and, and somebody like Trump would like oh, people. Yeah. People give like Jimmy. Um, well, he's the elite, but he has no class, right? He he's no born class. a millionaire, but he's still a punk from Queens. So you can say things like, oh, he's just like me. Oh, he makes fun of people just like me. Oh, he's not well-spoken just like me. Yeah. But there's nothing like you, and you're selling this idea that if you vote for him or vote for these individuals, you want, you deserve to be rich. You deserve yeah. to have the supermodel. You deserve to have all these things. Yeah, hate makes you stupid. I want to stick it to the elites, so I'm going to vote for a billionaire landlord. <laughs> You know, the first time I met Al Gore, it was amazing because I was doing the... Uh, and this is a like, current? Yeah, current. I was doing the sexy liberal comedy tour and I was doing CNN every morning. And we had this moment where uh, I had this, in, this altercation with Mitt Romney's advisor and it led to this Etch-A-Sketch comment. And suddenly, like, I... I, I what was the comment? Um, we had uh, Eric Fernstrom, Romney's communications director, on the morning show. And normally... Um, Soledad O'Brien was very cautious about letting me weigh in with anyone from the campaigns because I was the clown mm -hmm. on the panel. And this one morning, she let me jump in, and I asked a question about Romney, saying, you know, everyone keep... Essentially, everyone in the media at that time was saying, oh, is Mitt Romney conservative enough? Is he conservative enough? And I thought, no, the problem is he's, he's, he's too conservative. Mm. You know, at this point, he's painted himself into a Bob Dole corner. 
Like, you're, you're not up against John McCain now. He was running against Santorum and Gingrich, and Romney kept going more and more to the right. And, like, I don't think Romney's a homophobe. He's something worse. He's a calculated non-homophobe right. who acts homophobic to appeal to homophobes. That's why I lost respect for him. The same when he, be, when he fell into birtherism, when he fell into that racist, stupid 47% comment. Like, he embraced the ugly and the stupid, and it didn't look good on him. He wasn't comfortable doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trump doesn't care if it's true or not. Trump's been a bullshitter his whole life. It works. In the case of Romney, though, he was really trying to be more of a douchebag than he was. Right. And I, I, my whole point is, like, he's too conservative now. And I asked a, in very flowery newspeak for CNN, you know, um, aren't you concerned that there's an ideological corner? And Mr. Fernstrom replied, oh, no, no, you, you get to the general election after the primaries and you, you hit a reset button. It's, it's like an Etch-A-Sketch. And I thought, oh, my God, you just admitted that ideologically your candidate's like the guy from Memento. Mm-hmm. You know, the guy flips like a crack house mattress, whatever Which he's he leaves. done recently with Absolutely, siding with Trump yes. again. And say, like, after all the horrible things he said about you. And we're all that way to some degree, but don't be so bloody obvious about yeah, it. Liz. Don't dress like a hooker. Like, yeah. Just go up and ask for a drink. So I just thought, wow, you admitted it. And I didn't get to ask a follow-up. And my jaw was on the floor. No one else mentioned it. And then I went downtown and met my wife and the baby, and I was watching the news in the diner, and uh, I saw myself on MSNBC, Fox with News, jaw, uh, all the channels. Yeah, they were showing the exchange all over the news. Huh. That night, uh, The Daily Show ran it, Colbert ran it. I was getting calls from Europe. It was playing all over Europe. <laughs> and every, it was the first major gaffe of the campaign. By, by 11 o'clock that morning, Santorum and Gingrich were both photographed holding etch sketches at rallies. Clinton and Obama both used the phrase Etch-A-Sketch within a week. The sales of Etch-A-Sketch, I believe, went up like 9,000 percentage points on Amazon over one night. That's incredible. I came in the next day and I said to a producer, hey, we really made the news last night. And the producer said, yeah, we'll never be able to book him again. Wow. And that's when I realized, here's why we have a problem. Because it's you can't. about trading information for access. Right. And Chuck Todd has admitted this. I meet the press. If you if you ask questions too much, if you hold them to account, you won't book them again. Right. They won't come back. And others in their tribe will know not to come on your show and they'll go for softballs elsewhere. And now you've got this situation with Sanders and you know the press secretary where everyone's just kind of, you got to get the Playboy the guy from Playboy magazine has the tough questions because everyone else is pussyfooting yeah. around asking anything of merit. Yeah. That could maybe shift the dialogue. Yes. And you're just sitting there pushing a button to get your cookie instead of actually doing your job. And we're hostage? No. We, I mean, we have our abilities to We're under-informed. And, but, you know, the media is biased, but it's not biased to an ideology. I mean, I have this fight with Frank Conniff every day on the air. Um, and Frank's the funniest, best guy I know. But, you know, the media's bias is towards eyeballs mm-hmm. and clicks and ratings points. And so they will always go with where that bias takes them sure because that's their job i don't fault them per se i mean this is the culture we live in and this is their job their job is ratings if we don't get ratings we get canceled and these people lose their jobs Mm. so this is why profit-driven media is as dangerous for us as privately funded elections and geekscape is it's also why i'm sorry but i kind of hope you never get your x-men and fantastic four shared universe with the rest of the marvel movies because the disney fox merger would be insane and you know you don't know what you're asking for but you're jar jar casting the vote 
You don't want 40% of your box office and 40% of your big screen stories to come from the same place. So you're saying you <laughs> don't want an Avengers movie with 40 principal characters? You yeah. just want to keep it at 20? <laughs> um, not that they didn't do an amazing... I mean, Infinity War I loved, and I thought Civil War, that one, is basically an Avengers movie, and they did a great... Like, the Russo brothers did a great job of balancing all those plates. Everybody got their... Everybody got their own little storyline. Uh, it's remarkable in its coherence. The balls it's amazing. that keep here narratively. They came on my show, and all I wanted to talk about was structure, and and story structure, and not just that, but the 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 plot lines they keep in the air and the tonal shifts. I mean, you can watch Infinity War, and it's drama, comedy, horror, action, drama, comedy, horror, action. I mean, stylistically, they keep so many balls in the air as well. I I do think that. You know, I have some issues with how they wrapped it up because I do feel that um, The Last Jedi did stuff for real. Yeah. And it's very safe in Infinity War because you know when half of these characters that died have sequels in pre-production, they're mm-hmm. coming back and they're having it both ways. But, um, but you know, that's a quibble. I mean, the film is, uh, is, is so remarkable structurally. What they built, the architecture of, of it is just uh, a masterpiece. And I just saw... Civil War again this weekend for only the second time my, my kindergartner wanted to see it and um, it's, it's a marvel how mm-hmm. you know my wife didn't know any of the characters and yet she completely enjoyed it and knew everything going on in all times and, we, and I anticipated a mess because yeah. it's like so many storylines that you have to I mean I, I, you know and, and the thing with Infinity War is there's some insane stuff in there you have Thor reigniting a star like a sun like a, like a, like a, like a and I didn't I never thought that they were going to do something like go to Miss of the Never or wherever the heck that is where you have to build the forge and everything. Yes. I, I had no idea you were going to go that weird. And they the, gi- got, the giant they, dwarf is the the giant jumping dwarf. the shark. And I'm, it, but they don't jump the shark. You're watching it and you're like, how did they put this on screen and make it feasible? Like, how did they actually do this? Because this is insane. And yeah. when you go back and you watch the original, like Iron Man and Captain America and Thor, the road is getting paved, but. There's nothing that insane. Infinity War is insanity, and you're yeah. watching, and you're just like, "This is." These are so many flavors, like you said. Just well, they, they, I asked them about it, and they, 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 have you, have you had them on? No, I'd love to. They're I, great. They're, they're awesome. so great, and and you know, I'm what, only going to talk to them about Yumi and Dupree. That's it. That's it. Well, the way they did it was they, they said, you know, they were very happy to talk script because everyone just they interviews people just want to talk about you know what's Scarlett Johansson like to work with. No, I've had I just, I, we, I've talked to her, but no, yeah, I just no, wanted I'm, to talk structure and, and how they built it with the screenwriters. And they said we realized the only way to make it work was to make the villain the protagonist, to make the yeah. villain the main character, and Nailed that's it. how they built the whole thing around it. And he, I was worried that he was a thin character. Yeah, and I thought Josh Brolin acting through the mocap and everything. Gave it such depth. His performance is fantastic. Yeah, um, it's up there. With, I mean, you can't really compare it to some of the amazing animated performances, like Rob Williams as the genie and you know stuff like that. But mm-hmm. the, the mocap, it's going to start. I mean, they need a, their own Andy Serkis Award. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're they going to need their own thing for that because that level of acting is so challenging. The way that you're disconnected from many of your tools, but yeah. you're putting together a performance like that. I think eventually they're going to just start giving out honorary Oscars to Andy Serkis, and that'll sort it out. <laughs> no, they really, they're going to have yeah. to, because... As, going back to Planet of the Apes, yeah. Going back to Gollum. Yeah. Yeah, he's on another level. And uh, Go back King Kong. In, in, in playing Claw, of course, like, the man is very much a chameleon. He came by the Geekscape booth at Comic-Con one day, and uh, we had a short, very cool conversation 
uh, he was there with his kids mm-hmm. and nobody recognized him. Yeah, what was that film on HBO where he played the child murderer? Yeah, um, he's just not he's sure. Terrific. It's uh, you know, it's it's and he's Snoke. I mean, it's just great to see him. Yeah, and what they did with Snoke in that movie, I <laughs> love. I love that they were like, "Oh, you cared about this? Bye." <laughs> it's, it's off the board. I was howling, laughing. So, I mean, the whole film is so audacious. The whole film is fuck your expectations, which you've never had in a Star Wars movie again since Empire. And I could spend all day talking about the the, the parallels yeah. narratively between those two films, but. The nice thing about all of this uh, discontent over Last Jedi and people who didn't get their pony is that J.J. Abrams reads what's on the internet. Yeah. And he's go- he's at- had plenty of chances to make things right. And the one thing Disney's done with Star Wars that I'm really pleased by, I do think releasing Solo five months after the last one was the mistake. Uh, you know, yeah. in-, in seeing Solo, it's like, <laughs> this is our culture, right? We don't talk about the fact that there were three directors on this movie, and yet it's coherent and entertaining, and kids like it. We talk about how much money it didn't make its opening weekend. This yeah, is like really a up. whole symbol of our our culture. But what Disney's done—I mean, they've now fired the directors of three of these films so far. Three. Yeah. Which tells me Disney is really, really four. four. Um, One was a t- team. The, the kid who was probably of technically four people. But yeah. Three movies. Three movies. Um, Solo, Nine, and, and Rogue One. There was going to be a Boba Fett movie that Josh Trank was going to do. You know what? You know what? I, the most How recent thing I've Josh, heard is yeah. that the Boba Fett and Obi-Wan films are not necessarily dead because they were never actually approved. And you hear what Disney said over the weekend? Go ahead. There are Star Wars films in development that no one knows about that have not been announced I would love yet. those. I want this universe to get bigger. But the yeah. jo- the Josh they need Trank, the Lord Vader movie, though. The, the, the Josh Trank firing happened years ago, uh, right before Star Wars Celebration Anaheim, and that was right before his Fantastic Four movie came out. That's right. And that was the, fi- the fourth firing. Was, that oh, was the right. first firing. Which right. It was Josh. But and, that, to me, tells me Disney's yeah. really serious about making the fans happy, and Ryan Johnson tells me they're really serious about making terrific films that... Don't pander. And I do think that there's a lot of people who hate Last Jedi now, and years from now they'll watch it, and they'll realize, like people who watched Empire Strikes Back in 1985, and realized, oh, it really is a bit of a masterpiece. Um, I think it's going to age really well. I'll always have problems with it. And, you know, I mean, Mark Hamill is a, you you probably met Mark, he's a pal. He's awesome. There's there's things they could have done, and there's still things that I think J.J. Abrams is going to do in nine to really, really make people happy. And I think a lot of those uh, burns will be salved because they don't want to alienate anybody. And I think that you can, you can win back those people with a story that gives you even more payoff for the unexpected challenges of The Last Jedi. I want to see, the only thing that I want to see, and I think that'll help the universe, is this diversification of voices. I would love to see uh, female directors you believe and, it? And, and, and I would love to see directors of color brought into it. In the yeah. same way that, that it, I think, believe it's helping the Marvel universe and it's helping all these universes. So have a diversification of, of the, some of these captains who are leading the ship. But they're doing and the right it's thing. It's totally going to happen. They're going for storytelling first and foremost. You right. know, like, I love that they gave Ryan Johnson and the Game of Thrones guys trilogies. Sure. And we assume it's a trilogy for the Game of Thrones guys. Builds that confidence that you can do whatever the hell. Oh, yeah, I got some running room. Yeah. I, can, I can do some, what I want. Yeah, Let's and they're going for for good stories first. Yeah. And again, this is like this is like what DC has to has to catch up with because I do believe I mean some of the best I, I you know, look there's some great 
I love Wonder Woman. I loved it. And I, I like love the, the Dark Knight. I, I like the last half of that Justice League movie. I like. I love Man of Steel until it becomes a uh, a CGI video game somebody else is playing for the last sure. thirty minutes. Yeah, you know, Man of Steel making him as an making him an alien. I like that a lot more than the sci-fi is cool. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The last line of the movie is "Welcome to the Planet." It's so smart. I, I like that a lot more than what Brian Singer did with uh, with Superman Returns, which to me was like a remake of the Donner stuff. The, no, it was a remake oh, of the, no. the gay messiah stuff he did in X Men oh. Two. I feel like he he did the gay he did the gay superhero as outcast already. Yeah, and Singer, we, like we we had ourselves not that everything needs to be politicized, but we're sitting here living through Enron and the Bush administration, and you gave Lex Luthor a real estate scheme. You you could have just ripped anything from the pages. And put that in our Lex Luthor, yeah. and the movie would have been about something. About would have been very much about Superman, which is the embodiment of our own physical limitations and abilities coming to a new place exactly. without resources and having to battle against people who are established with power. It's the same stuff we're going on. Look at us right now. Like, right now. Look at America is the mightiest <laughs> army in the world. We can beat anybody in a fight and yet technology beat us. Mm-hmm. So there's so many ways that Superman can still be a character to face challenges That's he's brainiac. never faced before. It's brainiac. Yeah. <laughs> My problem with, with um, Superman Returns was that the actors were all very good, but they were way too young. Yeah. Superman's gone away for five years, and now he comes back, and he's like 23? Yeah, imagine Superboy Returns. Lois right Lane was in high yeah. school five years ago. If you watched that movie, they're, they're just they're, they're too young. Yeah. yeah, I think he wanted to do a continuation of that Donner stuff that he which would I respect, love, Which I, I respect, but, but then it's a casting. And Brandon Ruth's a fine actor. It's just It was a casting problem because they were way too young to have this, like, Oh, look how far we've come, Lois and Clark. I Shame mean, you had a kid, Lois. He, he made Superman a little creepy. He starts talking Lois and her kid, and I was like, uh-uh, I don't, I don't like this. This makes me feel uncomfortable. Well, that creepy wholesome. It didn't balance. Like, <laughs> right. either go one way or the other. Like, make him tormented. Make him have, like, these doubts. Sure. And there's ways to do it. And by the way, like... I know how they can make a great a great uh, Superman movie. I've yeah. got my script in mind. I've got my I've got that's my whole story about, arc. That's how I feel about Marvel's first family. I'm like, yep. I'm still hoping I that they. It. I'm still hoping that they wise up and give George Miller whatever he wants to make a Superman movie. Man, we got close, Geekscapists. We got close oh, with that Justice beautiful. League movie. I know, no, but George Miller was going to do Man of Steel too. He was. He he was before that. Remember, he was going to do Batman versus Superman originally, or he was going to do that Justice League yeah, movie. He'd already Justice cast League with, with the Common Justice League as Green movie. Lantern and like, Army Hammer as Batman. I think I love Army Hammer. Yeah, he's my he's my Victor Von Doom if I ever do it, and I'm going to mess his face up, <laughs> like. You'd be pissed too if you looked like Army Hammer and you would really got yeah. scarred. After Fury Road, I just want technology to keep George Miller alive for a very yeah, long let's time, do whatever it. it takes. Um, listen, speaking of things that go long, uh, yeah, John, we've covered we, a we lot just of run with it. Uh, welcome to Geekscape. Thank you. Um, guys, you can listen to John. I'm on uh, Sirius XM yeah. Insight, Channel 121, every weekday, 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern, and uh, 1 to 11, whatever it is, 1 to 11 to 2 Pacific Coast. And mm-hmm. uh, go to johnfugelsang.com for live gigs and cool stuff. And uh, thank you. And uh, please follow this guy on social media, too, on that Twitter, because I think that you have some really funny, insightful stuff that you're thank throwing you. out. Yeah, well, um, this is, by the way, the first conference. This is the first like hour-long podcast I've done in my life that didn't touch on George Harrison or religion. So thank you. I'm honored. Yeah, next time. Uh, well, you you're, you have to come to LA, I hear. I'm now out there all the time. <laughs> so maybe we'll do this again, Geekscapist. And you got to come on SiriusXM. I would love it. Um, Geekscapist, uh, you can find us at geekscape.net. You can find us at booth 3919 at San Diego Comic Con. We're going to have a lot of fun, including our new T-shirt that just says, Don't Hate. 
create. That's a new message. I want you guys to follow it. And let's try and embody that a little bit. If you have that little inkling, that feeling of putting a little hate out there, why don't you just create something new? Uh, show us what you got, okay? Um, that's my challenge to you guys, and I think it'll make the world a better place. Uh, so those shirts are going to be out at Comic-Con. I hope to see you there. We're obviously on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. This is Geekscape, your home. Love you guys. Share it with a friend. And thank you, John, for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. What a pleasure. <laughs> Bye, buddy.